Now concerning spiritual gift or concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaketh by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. To one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to the one other the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of Spirit, to another ki different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the self-same Spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. Our name, the unchanging word, reflects the fact that the eternal word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. When a person accepts Jesus Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into the life which then affects what and how a person speaks about Jesus. Jesus himself said that when the Holy Spirit would come, he would exalt the Lord Jesus Christ himself, both in the words and in the life of the believer. In our study today, Dr. Mitchell shows us the reason for spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. And each person of the Trinity has a part in the use of these spiritual gifts, which are listed in verses 8 through 11. Well, here's our study with Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and we are in the book of Corinthians, first epistle of Paul to the Corinthian church. And we're down to these wonderful chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, which have to do with spirituals. It is very obvious that these Corinthian Christians needed much more instruction. You remember in chapters 1 to 11, Paul dealt with things that were wrong in the church, and hence it was more or less corrective in his ministry. But now he begins with a question of construction, of building up the body of Christ. Having regulated these moral issues, now he begins to regulate the exercise of the gifts of the Spirit. You can't read these chapters, especially chapter 14, without realizing that the Corinthian church had misused certain gifts. Uh, how easy it was for these Corinthians who had been delivered out of idolatry and demonism to lack spiritual discernment. So when we come to these chapters, you have where God begins to deal 
with the Corinthian church, and I believe it runs right down to the present time. For example, in chapter 12, we have the bestowal of the gifts. In chapter 13, we have the governing of the gifts. And in chapter 14, the exercise of the gifts. Now, I'd like to read these first three verses again, if I may. I feel the need of doing this because there's so much misunderstanding, and may I say, oftentimes, a broken fellowships because of people insisting upon certain gifts. And as we read these chapters, I just pray that the Spirit of God will make it very precious, very real, and very clear to you, as well as to me. How God I am, we're not left to our own devisings. The Spirit of God has come to lead us and to guide us into all truth. As I've so oftentimes said, we only receive according to our capacity and how we need to pray continually. Dear Lord, increase my capacity for spiritual truths, for the Word of God, for the understanding of that which has been revealed. And may I again say, and I'm going to repeat this over and over again, and I don't mind doing it. If God did not reveal it to us, we would never know. Spiritual things must be spiritually discerned. The impossibility of the human mind to understand divine realities. I say that unhesitatingly. The impossibility of man, by his reasoning, by his philosophizing, can know spiritual realities. You have this, and we had that in chapter 2, you remember. I hath not seen or ear heard, neither hath there entered the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for those who love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, even the very deep things of God. But if my heart is not open to truth, then God will not reveal it. I don't care what the truth is in the Scriptures. God only speaks to open hearts. That is why when you come into the, into the gospel, especially Matthew 13 and Mark 4, uh, you find where the Lord Jesus began to speak to them in parables. Why? Because the hearts were closed to the real truth. And when people become indifferent to truth, then God hides the spiritual truth. That's why he used parables. You say, well, parables are given. He takes natural things to give us spiritual truth. Yes, but the natural heart can it receive even that unless the Spirit of God reveals it? In other words, God is always willing to reveal himself to open hearts. If your heart is closed, you'll never know. Did you hear me? If your heart is closed to truth, you will never know. And don't fall back on some experience you've had and say, well, I've had this, I've had that, I've had the other thing. My friend, I've got to stand upon the Word of God. And my question is, is my heart open to what God has for me? If my heart is closed, I will never know. That's true of you too. Now let me read these first three verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, or concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as you were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaketh by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. 
Now here we have the need of spirituals, or as we have it here, spiritual gifts. God wants us to know. God does not want us to be ignorant of these things. Now notice the appeal. It makes a contrast between the idols from which God had delivered them in verse 2. You know, you were Gentiles. Remember what you were in pine time past. You were carried away with these dumb idols. Here's the head and couldn't hear, and eyes the head and they couldn't see. You remember, just dumb idols. Even as you were led, you gave yourselves over to them. But now remember, you're in a different situation. No man can call. By the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus a curse, and so on. You're not talking here a question of salvation so much as it is. The question that God wants us to know, the reality of the things of the Spirit. How can we know when we see some spectacular thing? Is it of God? Is it of the flesh? Is it of that which is evil? There is much today that is supposed to be supernatural. How can I know when it's of God or when it's not of God? First thing it says here, the Spirit never curses Christ, and the Spirit never denies the Lordship of Christ. I want you to mark this one. Do you remember the very first message of Peter in the book of Acts chapter 2, 36 to 38? He speaks of the fact that this Jesus, whom you took by wicked hands and crucified, hath God exalted to be Lord and Christ. You see, the Spirit of God is the link between Christ in the glory and the assembly here on earth, just as it is between Christ and the believer. And when a believer is Spirit-filled, he will invariably magnify and glorify the Savior. This is what I'm trying to get on. No man, speaking by the Spirit of God, calleth Jesus accursed. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. Now, he's not dealing so much there with a question of, is Jesus Lord? That is, in his position. But he gets right down to the reality of it. If I, am, if I have any of the gifts of the Spirit of God, they will be used for the magnifying and the glorifying of our Savior. If it doesn't make Christ the center, then, my friend, you be careful of him. Don't get your eyes on some gift. Your eyes and your heart must be devoted to the Savior. It's what Paul's pleading for in the Corinthian church. In the first 11 chapters, especially the first 10 chapters, you have where Paul goes after them on certain things. And why were they in that problem? Why did they have that problem? It was because the Lord Jesus was not the center of attraction. They were following men. They were glorying in experiences, ecstatic experiences possibly, instead of recognizing the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's really absolutely Lord and Master. No one can call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Spirit. I take that because as I go through the chapter, in fact, right on down through chapter 14, the one thing I believe in the back of Paul's mind when he's writing this, he's pleading for Christ to be the center of the assembly and the center 
of the individual heart. No man can call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will magnify and glorify the Savior who indeed has been exalted to be Lord and Christ. Now in verses 4 to 7, we have the reason for the gifts, verses 4 to 7. And it's for the edification of the church. And you'll notice something here in contrast to what they had gone through. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. You notice the differences. There are differences of administrations, differences of gifts, differences of manifestations, but the same Lord, the same Spirit, the same God. Here you have the Godhead spoken of here. Diversities of gifts, the same Spirit. And this deals with capacity for service. Diversities of ministries, of administrations, but the same Lord. Here I the opportunity for service. Diversities of operations, it's the same God. As you go down through these chapters, especially in chapter 12, you have these three things, especially before us. Gifts, ministries, operations. It's the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, who works in the believer for the purpose of the edification, the building up of God's people and for the increase of the body, as we shall see. Now, the pagans knew something about diversities of spirits. But we don't have that here. We have the same spirit, the same Lord, the same God. Now, the gifts are manifestations of the energy of the spirit committed to men unto the lordship of Christ. Gifts are capacities for service. I want you to keep this in mind. Any gift that God gives to a believer is to do some service for the increase of the body of Christ and for the edification of the body. Now, there's no question that the purposes of God for the church have their end in heaven. And Christ is going to accomplish this. There's going to be no failure about that. When the church stands before him, it's going to stand in all the completeness of the righteousness and beauty of Christ. You remember in Ephesians chapter 5, that he might cleanse the church by the washing of water by the word, and he might present the church to himself, a holy church, having neither spot nor wrinkle nor any such thing, marvelous thing. Now, that's God's, that's God's purpose for the church. We're going to stand in his presence, conform to the image of Christ, a holy church, a beautiful church. But now what about the church on earth? with all its factions, with all its problems, its disappointments, its failures, etc., etc. So the ways of God are known on earth through his people. Hence, God gifts men. In fact, he not only that, but he gives gifted men to the church 
as well as gifts to the individual believer. Let me just stop here for a moment. I go back to Ephesians chapter 4, 11 to 12. Do you remember where, where Paul wrote, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors for teachers, some teachers. What for? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry till we all come to the measure of the stature of Christ and so on. Now, these are gifted men. This is public ministry. Every believer, all believers don't have a public ministry. And I want to speak to that point for a moment. We shall find it when we come in further into the chapter, but let me mention it here. Because there are those who say, well, God hasn't given to me any gift. I want to say, if you love the Savior and belong to the body of Christ, you have a particular place in the body. And God's got a gift, given you a gift of some kind. I don't believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are right here in, in Corinthians chapter 12. Now, in Ephesians chapter 4, you have gifted men, prophets, pardon me, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. So we all come to the unity of the faith and the measure of a perfect man. Down to verse 16, every joint supplies something for the edification of the body and for the increase of the body. Don't alibi. Don't say, I can't do anything. You may be the weakest member of the body of Christ. And I've had people say to me, Mr. Mitchell, you know, I'm one of God's weakest children. Well, I'll take your word for it. But even if you are, you've got a particular place in the body of Christ. You see, in verse 7, the, min the ministration of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. To every man, everyone in the body of Christ. But God has given gifted men Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What's their job? To perfect God's people for the work of the ministry. You see, we have a distorted idea that when a man is a preacher or a pastor or evangelist, well, you know, he's a minister. He belongs, he's a minister. He's uh, got a public gift. Well, my friend, let me tell you, every Christian is a minister. You may not have the public gifts. You take that passage, for example, in Romans chapter 12, starting in at verse 3 and running right on down through to about verse 17 or 18. You've got all kinds of gifts, helps and ministrations and so on, hospitality. These are all gifts for one purpose, for the edification of the body of Christ, for profit, for edification. I want you to keep that clear in your mind. All gifts are given for edification, for the increase of the body. Now you go down to verses 8 to 11, and we have the gifts of the Spirit. And again I say, here we have, these are given to us to serve. Gifts are given to be used for the purpose of serving the body of Christ, either for its increase, that is, to bring in the unsaved or for the building up of his people. Let me read these verses. Verse 8, To one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. 
to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to the one other the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit do I dividing to every man severally as he wills. He may not give you one gift, he may give you more gifts. I know some friends of mine who have the gift of evangelism, they have the gift of teaching, but they don't have the gift of a pastor. And one could go on down through. Some, some men are good preachers, but as administrators, uh-uh, they don't have that gift. The trouble is when, a, when you call a pastor, you want a man to have all the gifts imaginable. We want him to be a good businessman, a good executive, a good administrator, a good preacher, a good teacher, uh, a man who can bring a lot of people in. He's got to be an evangelist. He's got to have everything. That's wrong. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, I know that God has given to some man more than one gift. But every believer, you, my friend, included, have some gift. He's Mr. Mitchell, I'm shut in. I'm at, coming to the end of my life on earth. What can I do? As long as God leaves you down here, he's got a ministry for you. He's got a particular place for you in the body of Christ. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm confined to my bed and I've got no strength. What can I do? My friend, you can do one of the most marvelous things that a child of God can do. You can be one of God's intercessors. You know, allow me to say a word about that, will you? I know I'm not talking about Corinthians. I'm talking about you and your place in the body of Christ and why God does you leave, why God leaves you down here. You know, in the 59th chapter of Isaiah, there's a sad picture there where God looked upon Israel and truth was fallen in the streets and the righteous man was a prey and God wondered. As far as I know, it is the only place in the Bible where God wondered. What did he wonder? He wondered there was no man to intercede for his people. No man to intercede for his people. Just like you have in the book of Ezekiel, the princes have become worldly and materialistic and the priests have become, uh, what shall I say, unholy and the people are in a place of lawlessness and God looked, there was no man to stand in the gap and plead for his land. No man to plead for his people, no man to plead for his land. That's to Israel. Today, if ever there was a time when we as God's people ought to intercede for the ministry of the Word of God, for lost men and women, for the body of Christ, it may be built up in Christ, that we might live godly in Christ. If ever there was a need for intercessors, it's today. My friend, if God puts upon you the ministry of intercession, you thank God as one of the most amazing ministries and shall I say, one of the most needful ministries today. How glad I am, and I speak now as one who's been a pastor for a great many years, how glad I am that the Lord gave to us men, sick, men who were sick and frail, who spent hours a day pleading with God for men and women. 
pleading with God for his servants, pleading with God for the edification of the body of Christ. I tell you, you can have this ministry. I know it's not public. Maybe it's a good job it's not public. It's between you and the Lord to come down into the very presence of God Plead with him for lost men and women. To plead with him for the ministry of the word of God. It may go forth in the power of the spirit of God. If you want to, plead for me. As day after day I speak to you and thousands of others about the loveliness of our Savior and the glory of the salvation we have in Christ Jesus. Now may the Lord bless you today for his own precious name's sake. you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at town.